Open to the book of Micah. Micah chapter 1. Micah chapter 1. Micah chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse number 8. Micah chapter 1. And we'll begin in verse number 8. And we'll read through the end of the chapter here. He says, Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls. For her, her wound is incurable. For it is come unto Judah. He is come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Declare ye it not at Gath. Weep ye not at all in the house of Aphra. Roll thyself in the dust. Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Saphir, having thy shame naked. The inhabitant of Zanan came not forth in the morning of Bethezel. He shall receive of you his standing. For the inhabitant of Maroth waited carefully for good. But evil came down from the Lord into the gate of Jerusalem. O thou inhabitant of Lachish, bind the chariot to the swift beast. She is the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion, for the transgressions of Israel were found in thee. Therefore shalt thou give presents to Moresheth Gath. The houses of Akzib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Yet will I bring an heir unto thee, O inhabitant of Marisha. He shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. Make thee bald, and pull thee for thy delicate children. Enlarge thy baldness as the eagle, for they are gone into captivity from thee. Tonight we're going to be looking at really this passage here. And um, as we kind of looked last week, as we we're kind of beginning in this, we see this. Uh, Micah's giving us this idea of intervention. And uh, he says, speaking to Judah, uh, speaking to Israel, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and then also not just to them, but to all mankind. He says in verse number two, Hear all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. And so Micah is saying, hey, you need, to, you need to pay attention, you need to listen up, because uh, God is going to be bringing judgment. Uh, he said, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And so he speaks about this judgment that is going to come because of the sin of Samaria, of the northern kingdom of Israel, but then also because of the sin of the southern kingdom, Judah, um, and what is taking place there in Jerusalem. And we saw how... Um, they were allowing the sin of the northern kingdom to creep into the southern kingdom, this idolatry and just the wickedness that was taking place. And as Micah sees what is happening to his country and to his people, what do you think Micah's attitude is? As Micah sees that God is going to bring judgment, he sees that this judgment is because of Israel's sin and committing idolatry. He sees that Judah is, is allowing the sin to come in as well. They're, they're, not, um, they're not holding the line, if we could say, of truth. They're not, uh, they're not standing for God. They're, they're allowing the sins of Israel to start creeping down into Judah. What is Micah's attitude toward all of this? Is, it, is Micah basically saying, hey, you know, you all deserve this? Uh, you, you, you get what you, you know, you've got it coming. And so, you know, you're just going to, you just, you're just going to get this. I think through Micah, we don't see that. In fact, I believe through Micah, we see the heart of the Lord. And, um, think about what he says 
in, in verse number eight. Therefore, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls. Think about this. Micah, I believe, is, is showing his, his heart. But through his heart, I believe God is also showing us the heart of God. God is saying judgment is going to come. Micah says judgment is coming because of sin. But we see the sorrow that Micah expresses. And I think this is very, very interesting. He says, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. There's this mourning. There's this, um, I don't know. Sometimes in, in America, you know, you can, you can be in a funeral and you can see somebody that is really grieved and, um, you know, they, they might be crying and, and maybe even make some mourning noises. But until you've been to a, uh, a country in third world where you see this mourning process and things, um, it's, it's very, very different, <laughs> I have to say. Um, it's almost, it's eerie. Um, and, and some of it obviously is fake, right? Um, but much of it is, is very real. And, um, and we've been in many, of the, many villages in Uganda where we've done burials and things where somebody has died and they've asked us to come and, and do the burial because as missionaries, we would do it for free. We wouldn't charge to do burials where many of these other churches would charge to, to perform a burial service. And, um, and, and you come and, you, and you're there. And of course, they don't do like here in America. There's no funeral home. There's no embalming or anything. And, and that's why everything has to be pretty quick over there. Um, but they'll, they'll, they'll put the body inside the house. And really, it's just a hut. And um, the, the body is in there. And of course, uh, again, not, not to, to gross you out or anything, but the smell begins to happen and, and there's flies all over everything. And, and then you begin to see some of the family members come as the bodies in the house and, and, and especially the, the women and even sometimes the men, but more, especially the women, they just begin this, this wailing, this, this mourning. And it's just, it, again, it's just, it's just an eerie, it's an eerie sense. Um, there's, there's just such a devastation and, and they're not, you know, they're not trying to keep, I mean, it is, it is loud. Um, and, and, and just the, the sensation of it is there. And this is what he's saying. He said, I will wail and I will howl. Micah's saying he, his heart is so broken. There's such sorrow here because of what is going to transpire. Um, he says, I'll go stripped and naked as Micah either would tore off uh, or removed his garment in a symbol of sorrow and deep mourning. Um, we find several instances of what they would do in that day is, is to show evidence of mourning. They would, they would rip their clothes and uh, they would put uh, sackcloth on or they would uh, put ashes on or dust. And we'll see he mentions that also a little bit later. But just the, the, the symbol of sorrow, the symbol of, of deep mourning. And as I begin to think about this, and as Micah, I believe, is showing the heart of God, think about this. He says, I will wail and howl. I'll go stripped and naked. Why is he saying this? Because of this judgment that is coming upon his people. This judgment that God is going to bring. 
But it, as we see the heart of God as well, this is, this is really God's heart. And sometimes I think that we, we forget, even though we understand God is a God of justice, God is a God of love. And it never, God never takes pleasure in the judgment of the wicked. You understand that? God never takes pleasure in the judgment of the wicked. One, sometimes we get this idea, well, man, God, just give them what they deserve. Look, be thankful we didn't get what we deserve, right? That because of God's mercy and his grace, we don't get what we deserve. And, and, and yes, we understand that's only through Jesus Christ, but, but sometimes we can become so hard to, to the things around us. We can, we can look at our world and say, man, they, they deserve, they deserve it. You know, look how wicked our society is getting. They deserve to be judged. They, they, we, and sometimes we can even pray, God, come quickly so that they can be judged. But you understand, God, God never delights in the judgment of the wicked. He, he tells us here in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, in verse number 11, he says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, he says, turn ye from your judgment or from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? Think about what he's saying. God says, I have no delight in seeing the wicked die without God. I have no delight in bringing judgment upon the wicked. God doesn't delight in that. And, and, and you, see, you see groups of people that, um, and look, we're, we're going to, don't, don't misunderstand me, and I'm just going to say it up front, we're, we're going we're gonna to preach against sin, right? But there is a right way and a wrong way to do it. Look, we believe that the Bible teaches that, that um, you know, homosexuality is wrong. We believe that this whole LGBTQ thing is wrong. We, we believe that, that, um, that adultery is wrong and fornication is wrong. We believe these things are wrong. But, but I think, in, in, and I think some of you may have seen this in the past, and we, we are in such a society where we, we almost look down at other people who aren't like us. We, we look down upon them and we think, well, you're somehow less than what I am because I am saved. And, and I would never think about committing that type of sin. I would never do that type of thing. And what happens is we become, we become judgmental of those who do not know Christ yet. And, and this is what Micah could have very easily said, hey, we're getting what we deserve. We're just, we're getting exactly what we deserve. But instead there's this, there's a wailing, there's a howling, there's a mourning that Micah is saying, hey, yes, I know that judgment is coming, but, but I, there's such great sorrow and such great, great heartache in all of this. God doesn't enjoy bringing judgment but at the same time, he cannot allow sin to go. He cannot just allow sin to move forward. So he must judge sin because he is just. God does not judge sin and wickedness because he enjoys it. God does it because he is just. 
And this is why he says he, he doesn't delight in the wicked in their death. And that's why he gives them opportunity to turn. He says, turn, turn ye to me, turn ye to me, turn to me. But if they do not, then God has, he has no recourse but to bring judgment. But we have to understand that, that God does not enjoy bringing judgment upon the wicked. This is why I believe a preacher of the gospel must have a tender and a compassionate heart. We must speak the truth, but we are to speak the truth in love. And I'm going to say tonight, unfortunately, there are a lot of preachers who are not preaching the truth in love. A lot of preachers are taking such a, if they could, in their term, well, we're taking a stand against sin. Well, I understand taking a stand against sin. But let me tell you something. When is the last time your heart broke for the wicked? When was the last time you sorrowed because you know that if they don't come to know Christ as their Savior, they will spend eternity in the lake of fire? You see, we get this self-righteous, judgmental attitude. Well, they just, they're going to get what they deserve. And I, I know uh, some of you have probably seen groups like the Westboro Baptists and some of these other groups that are just hateful. They're just hateful. Can I tell you, that's not God. That's not our God. Yes, God will bring judgment. God will. But yet he says, turn. He says, I don't want to judge you. I don't want to bring this judgment. And if you would just turn, then, then I will repent, he says. I will take this judgment away. He says, turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die? I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. More than anything, God's desire is for those that do not know him to turn to him. That's why he tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. None. God doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. Are there people that are going to die and go to hell? Yes. Absolutely. Is God going to bring judgment? Yes, just as he's going to bring judgment to, to Israel and to Judah. But we see the heart of God through Micah. He's wailing. He's mourning. He sees this judgment is coming. And, and notice what he says. Why is he expressing such sorrow here? Again, Micah, he's going to deliver a very strong message. But we see his heart in this, if you could call it this lamentation. Really, we, when we think about the weeping prophet, who do we think of? Jeremiah. Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet, right? He's got a whole book, the Lamentations, right? That's, that's, that's a, a, a book where Jeremiah is just weeping about what's going to happen. But I think if you look, you'll find that Micah was also a weeping prophet. Micah is wailing. He's broken. He's burdened because he sees that judgment is coming. And he's crying out to them. He's trying to intervene on their behalf. Now think about this. Why is he expressing such sorrow? What does he say here? Notice in verse number nine. For her wound 
is incurable. For it is coming to Judah. He is coming to the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. So again, Micah's heart is broken. He sees that, that Israel, and again, even though the, nations were, the nation was divided, you had the northern kingdom, you had the southern kingdom, Micah understood they were still God's people. They were still one nation, even though there was a division with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The, the 12 tribes were divided into two, but they were still God's people. And Micah sees this judgment that is coming. He sees this destruction that is going to come. And his heart is weeping. His heart is broken. There's sorrow. And watch what he says. For her wound is incurable. It's incurable. I have not trying to be callous in any way tonight. I'm thankful that this has never happened to me, but I know that there are many that has, this has happened to. Can you imagine sitting in a, in a doctor's office and a doctor comes to you and says, you have this type of disease, whatever it might be, and there's no cure. There's no cure. Can you imagine the the brokenness, the anguish of knowing there's, there's something that is incurable. Micah says her wound is incurable. The, the problem, though, with, with Israel was Israel didn't care. For someone that would sit in a doctor's office when, when a doctor would say, hey, you have this disease or whatever it might be and it's incurable, we would be broken we, because, man, we would say, well, there's so much more I want to do in life and, and I want to be with family and I want to be with friends and things like this. And so we would be praying, God, please help us find a cure for this. But with, but with Israel... Micah is, is giving them, he's saying, hey, you have a problem here and, and you have this disease. And the people said, we don't care. And because they did not care, they had gone to this extreme where Micah says, now this wound is incurable. What is he saying by that? When he says her wound is incurable, what is he saying? What do you think he's saying there? What? It's too late? What do you think he's saying? What's that? No solution? They've given up on God? What do you think he's saying? Her wound is incurable. Now, wait a minute. Isn't God the great physician? So then how can her wound be incurable if God is the great physician? If God is able to, to heal and if God is able to do anything, why is Micah saying her wound is incurable? They had crossed a line and there was no turning back. God had given Israel mercy. 
for hundreds of years, for almost 600 years, God has been sending prophets, repent, 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 turn. God has been sending prophets to them. We, we saw this through, through Hosea. We saw this through Amos. God is sending these prophets. You need to repent. You need to turn. And what did they say? We don't care. We don't care about God. In fact, we're more concerned about these other people's gods. We're more concerned about Ashtaroth. We're more concerned about Baal. We're more concerned about all these other gods. That's where we're going to follow. These gods in the, people, in the land of the people that we dwell, those are the ones that we're concerned about. And God had showed mercy upon mercy, and they would not turn back to him. And the line had been crossed. You see, it isn't that God didn't want to forgive them. It's not that God doesn't want to forgive. It is that they were so bent on their sin that they had turned a deaf ear to God for so long that God says, now there's nothing left but judgment. They had continued in their sin for so long, they weren't even, they weren't even paying attention to God. They weren't even concerned that the prophets were saying judgment is coming. They had no desire to turn back to God. All they were concerned about is enjoyment. All they were concerned about was the pleasures of life. And even though the prophets came and said, hey, judgment is coming, they just turned a deaf ear and said, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear that. We're fine doing what we want to do. Her wound is incurable. By the way, this can be in an individual or in a nation. An individual can move so far away from God that God has to finally say, enough. Enough. No more. No more mercy. A country can move so far away that God says, enough. I've shown mercy. I've given you mercy. I've given you time. And you've refused. I wonder how close are we as a country to crossing that line. I wonder how close we are. You say, where's the line? We have no idea where the line is. Only God does. Israel didn't know where the line was. Only God did. But God said, you've crossed it. And your wound is incurable. We don't know where the line is. That's up to God. You say, well, isn't he merciful? Yes, he is merciful. He's a gracious God. And he had shown them mercy for hundreds of years. But God says, you've finally crossed the line. I wonder maybe in our own life, there's a line that God says we shouldn't cross. You say, well, can a, Christ, can a Christian cross that line? Can I tell you, if God's people as a nation of Israel could cross that line, what makes you think that a Christian can't? As a Christian, if we are not 
being obedient to God, if we choose to turn a deaf ear to what God says and just be more concerned about sin and pleasure and, and all the things that we want, and God speaks and we just say, no, I'm not going to listen, God. And God speaks and we just say, no, I'm not going to listen. We just keep turning that deaf ear to God. God says, there's going to be a time when we're going to cross that line. And God's going to say, enough. Enough, no more. You say, well, when I get close to that line, then I'll stop. Friend, you have no idea when that line is. You don't know where that line is. And by the way, the closer you get to that line, the harder it is to turn away from that line. Israel had gone so far that God says her wound is incurable. This was Israel, the northern kingdom. Her wound is incurable. Judgment is coming. And we know that judgment was going to come very shortly upon Israel. But watch what he says about Judah. For it is come unto Judah. He is come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Interesting. What does he say here? What's Micah speaking about? For it is come unto Judah. This wound, this sin, that the, the problem that, that Israel had, had now come to Judah. Judah was following in the same path that Israel was. Now, he doesn't say that Judah's sin was incurable yet, but Israel's was. Her wound was incurable. And this is where Micah is saying, I see that God's judgment is going to come upon Israel, but here's where my, my, my heart is really broken as well, is because I see it's coming to Judah as well. He says, for it is come unto Judah. And then he says, he is coming to the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. What is Micah speaking about when he says, he is coming to the gate of my people? It's fascinating. When you go back and you study, you'll find that the Assyrian army under Sennacherib came down from the north and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, but they didn't stop there. They didn't stop there. Go back to, uh, to 2 Kings chapter 19. In 2 Kings chapter number 19, Um, go back up to go back up to chapter eighteen. Notice in verse number thirteen, he says, "Now in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah, and took them? And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended. Return from me that which thou puttest on me; I will bear." And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So think about this, because we're going to, in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19 is, is what's happening. We're going to see what's happening here. But here you have Sennacherib. He has come from Assyria. And they have not stopped at just the northern kingdom. They have, they have defeated the northern kingdom, but they kept coming. They kept coming into the southern kingdom. And this is what he's saying. He says they have, uh, t- they have, uh, come against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. Now, it's interesting that he, he talks about this because I don't know if you noticed in Micah, basically in verses 11 um, on down to the end of the chapter, do you remember us reading all those cities? 
Guess what those cities are? Cities that were defeated that we just read in 2 Kings chapter 18. And we're going we're to look at those in just a second. But think about what he's saying. This Assyrian army, they, they came down. They continued all the way down into the southern kingdom. And guess where they stopped? Go back to Micah with me. You can hold your place there in 2 Kings chapter 19. We're going to come back. But watch. He said, he has come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Guess where the Assyrian army stopped? They stopped at Jerusalem. They stopped there. They did not conquer Jerusalem at this time. Again, this judgment that is happening during the time of Hezekiah is all about the northern kingdom. But God is giving them a little taste of judgment. God's giving them a little taste of, hey, if you don't repent, if you don't, this is just a little taste of what's going to happen. He said, I'm not going to let them take Judah. They're going to they're take some cities and they're going to come to Judah, but they're not going to conquer you yet. But if you don't turn, this is a taste of what's going to happen. So the northern kingdom's gone. They're, 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 they're in captivity now because of the Assyrian army. They continue down and, it, and they come down to the gates. And it was King Hezekiah who was afraid that they would take the city. And it was Hezekiah that's crying out to God. And guess who God sends to Hezekiah? He sends the prophet Isaiah. Remember, Isaiah and Micah are contemporaries during this time. And he sends Isaiah to tell King Hezekiah that Jerusalem would not be conquered. Jerusalem would not be invaded. But this was to be a warning to Judah. God delivered them. You can go back and you can read and you can see how God delivered them out. And the Assyrian army was driven back by God's power. And Judah heeded the warning for a time. But eventually, they went back to their idolatrous ways. And the day came when God had to judge Judah just as he had judged Israel. Now, what's really interesting, Micah, in these next few verses here, we're going to kind of go through them a little bit, a little quickly. Because in these next few verses, verses 10, all the way down to verse number 14, and really 15, Micah uses a play on words. And it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to understand this in English because the, the, the cities, the names of each of these cities have a particular meaning. And I'll, I'll tell you the meaning as we go through, but I think as we go through, you'll see the play on words that Micah is, is doing here, right? But what's really interesting, there are, there are 12 cities that are listed here from verse number 10 all the way down to verse number 15. There are 12 cities. And again, I'm not, I'm not one really big into, you know, the numbers throughout the Bible. Of course, we understand that number seven is the number of perfection and number six is the number of man, right? And of course, you know, the, the number of the, the Antichrist is going to be 666. And, and so there are certain times when I think it is important that we, we recognize numbers, but sometimes we can just read and not even recognize the numbers are there. But there are 12 cities that are mentioned here. And when you go back and you kind of study through scripture and you find out the meaning of 12 is considered a perfect number. It is that it symbolizes God's power and authority. God is in control. (laughs) 
God's power and God's authority. It, it symbolizes the completeness or the, the nation of Israel as a whole. Of course, when you think about Jacob and the 12 sons, talking about the nation. And so you have these 12 cities and God is going to eventually judge the entire nation of Israel, not just the 10 tribes in the north, but even the two in the south as well. And God's judgment is perfect. God is the only one that has the power and authority to bring this judgment. What's interesting is the order of how the towns were invaded is not in this order. Micah kind of jumps around to these different towns, but we know that these are all ones that are going to be invaded. And we'll see that here in just a second and, and how, he, how he uses this play on words. Um, let's just kind of go through a little bit of them here. Um, and I'm going to try to f- finish ver- chapter 1 tonight. Um, he says, Gath, right? Notice in verse number 10, Declare ye it not at Gath. Weep ye not at all in the house of Aphra. Roll thyself in the dust. Gath means the town that weeps, right? It's, it's very similar to the Hebrew word tell. So notice what he says, tell it not at Gath, right? Again, he's using a play on words. It's similar to Hebrew word tell. So he says, declare ye it not at Gath. Weep ye not at all. So again, here's a Gath means weep, but he says, nah, don't, don't weep. We don't want you to weep here. And why, why does he say this about Gath? Because Gath was a town that was, uh, uh, had always been under control of the Philistines, right? Um, the, the Philistines were of Gath, right? And so um, even in 2 Samuel chapter 1, when uh, uh, David is, is lamenting uh, Solomon and uh, some other things here, he says, don't, don't let it be known in Gath. Why? He didn't want the, the enemies of God rejoicing over the judgment of God's people. And so he says, declare ye it not at Gath. We ye not at all. He's like, don't, don't tell this in Gath that we're going to be judged because then they will have joy over God's people being judged. So don't weep, right? Gath, the town that weeps, don't weep, right? Then what does he say? In the house of Aphra, roll thyself in the dust. Aphra means the town of dust. The town of dust. When they would put dust on their heads, it was a sign of deep grief. And so what does he say? He says um, in verse number 10, in the house of Aphra, roll thyself in dust. The town of dust, they are gonna put, they're going to be putting dust on them. Why? Because of the, the weeping and the sorrow, the grieving that's going to take place in the judgment that is going to come. He says, pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Saphir, having thy shame naked, the inhabitant of Zazan came not forth in the morning of Bethezel. He shall receive of you his standing. So again, think about this. The word Saphir means beauty. So it was the town of beauty. It was the beautiful town. But watch, watch what he says. It would no longer be beautiful. Having thy shame naked. He said, you're going to be brought low. He says, yes, you're, you're known as a beautiful city, but you're going to be brought so low, you're going to be shameful. You're going to be brought to such shame. Zainan. Think about what he says here. The inhabitant of Zainan came not forth 
in the morning of Bethesel. Again, all of these cities have, there's a play on words here. So think about it. Zanan. He says, the inhabitant of Zanan came not forth. Guess what the word Zanan means? It means to come forth. It means to come forth, right? Or to, or to go out. They, they didn't come out. They wouldn't go out, but they would cower behind their walls and they would be destroyed. This, this city of might that would, was, was, would go out and, and conquer. He says, you're not going to go out. You're going to be destroyed. You're going to cower behind your walls. They came not forth. And notice, in the morning, M-O-U-R, not M-O-R-N, M-O-U-R, weeping, mourning of Beth-Ezel. The name Beth-Ezel means house of taking away. Think about it. The mourning of Beth-Ezel, the mourning of being taken away. They would be sorrowing and they would be weeping because they would be taken away. They'd be taken captive. For the inhabitant of Mayroth waited carefully for good. Meroth means bitterness. It's very similar to the word Mara. Anybody remember somebody that wanted to change her name to Mara? Naomi. Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara. Why? Life had been bitter to her. Right? That's the same where we get the name Maroth. It means bitterness. Right? And watch. The inhabitant of Maroth waited carefully for good. They're waiting for good news. They're waiting to hear something good. But watch. It doesn't come. Guess what comes? A bitter report. Bitter news. Not good news. Bitter news comes. He says evil came down from the Lord. Now this is interesting. Evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. What does Jerusalem mean? Anybody know what Jerusalem means? Jerusalem means peace. Was there peace? No. He says, evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. There would be no peace, only evil. In fact, Jeremiah 6, uh, 4 speaks about this. Again, you have to understand, Jeremiah is that weeping prophet as well with, with Judah. In Jeremiah chapter 6, in verse number, in verse number uh, uh, what did I say? 14. He says, they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. These false prophets were, were saying, oh, no, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. And this is interesting what he says. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people. Remember how Micah talks about the wound is incurable? No, the, prop, the false prophets came in saying, no, 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 everything's going to be okay. There's going to be peace. There's going to be peace. Everything's going to be okay. And people began to believe them. Oh, you know, hey, the wound is healed. There's a slight healing. Things are going to be okay. No, he says the wound is incurable. There is no peace. Even the city of Jerusalem that meant peace, there would be no peace but evil. Notice in the next verse, he says, O thou inhabitant of Lachish, bind the chariot to the swift beast. She is the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion, for the transgression of Israel were found in thee. Lachish means horse town. Horse town. Again, think about what he's talking about. The chariots to the swift beast. What, what is a swift beast that would be bound to a chariot? A horse. A horse, right? It was a chariot city from the time of Solomon. Solomon used Lachish as a chariot city. Great stables of horses were there, located just southwest of Jerusalem. This, and notice what he says here. He says, um, 
she, Lachish, is the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion, for the transgression of Israel were found in thee. Guess what he's saying? This is where it all began. Lachish. This is where the sin began in Judah. The Bible, and again, you think about it. This, uh, this is where it was introduced, this idolatry. You remember what the Bible says? A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That's exactly what happened with Lachish. Lachish was one of the, the chief cities. It was one of Solomon's great cities of, uh, where his, uh, his chariots and his horses and things were. It was one of the powerful cities. It was a fortress city. And they were the first ones to turn to idolatry. And what happened? They corrupted the rest of the nation. That little leaven that leaveneth the whole lump. He says, for the transgressions of Israel were found in thee. It would be from this city, by the way, that Sennacherib had his headquarters. It was from this city, Lachish, that Sennacherib, the captain of the Assyrian army, set up his headquarters in Lachish. And that's when he sent Rabshakeh to Jerusalem with a great army. When we find Hezekiah fearing because this army has showed up on his doorstep, it's outside the gates of Israel. Guess where they came? They came from Lachish. That's where the Assyrian army had set up their headquarters. He says in verse number 14, Therefore shalt thou give presents to Moresheth Gath. Where's that name sound familiar from? Anybody have an idea? No? We're t- right, here, right here in the book of Micah. How about verse number one? The word of the Lord that came to Micah the Morristite. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about his own town. He's talking about his own town now. He says, Therefore shalt thou give presents to Morisheth Gath. Again, This is most likely the hometown of Micah where he's from. This name, Morasheth Gath, it it sounds like the Hebrew word meaning betrothed. What would happen? Brides, when when the groom would come and the, the groom would take the bride, brides were given farewell gifts when they left home. Now watch what he says. Therefore shalt thou give presents to Morasheth Gath. Again, there's this play on words here, right? But here's the thing. They would no longer, these gifts, they would no longer belong to Judah, but would leave home and belong to their captors. Just as that bride that would, as the, the groom would come and get the bride and take them home. Oh, there was somebody coming to take them, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a groom. It was a captor. And they were going to be taken captives. And they would, they would have to give gifts to these captives. If you go back and you read, what, would, what did we just read? Uh, I don't know if you caught it or not there in 2 Kings chapter 18. What did Hezekiah have to do? He said, we'll pay you. He said, hey, hey, Sennacherib, hey, don't, don't attack. We'll pay you. And what did he do? He went around the whole city trying to find gold. He tried to find anything he could. He took gold from his house. He took gold from the temple. He took gold from any place he could to try to give to the Assyrian army to send them away. What was he doing? Giving gifts. He says, Morsheth Gath, you're going to give gifts, but you're going to be taken captive. The houses of Axib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Guess what, guess what Axib means? 
means town of lies. Deception. Wouldn't you like to be known from being that town? Where are you from? I'm from Deception. What? Where are you from? I'm from the town of lies. Yeah, I think I'm going to find somebody else to do business with. (laughs) Right? I mean, that just doesn't even sound good, right? But watch what he says. He says, therefore shalt thou give presents to Morsheth Gath. The houses of Aksub shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. It lived up to its name. They were given over to lies. They were given over to this lies of Israel. They listened to the lies of Israel. They listened to them say, hey, it's all right. You don't need to follow God. It's all right to live in idolatry. It's all right. And they listened to the lies of the kings of Israel. They were given over to lies. Yet will I bring an heir unto thee, O inhabitant of Merishah. He shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. Merisha sounds like the word for conqueror. What is he saying? They would be conquered. I'll bring an heir unto thee, O inhabitant of Merisha. There's going to be somebody that's going to conquer you. In fact, we find that this Merisha was a city that Rehoboam had fortified after he divided the kingdom. It would, again, it was a strong city, but he said it's going to be conquered. Adullam. He shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. Again, this fortress city. It's very interesting how, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but the very first city we looked at was the city of what? Gath. The last city we're looking at here is the city of Adullam. You know what's interesting about both of those cities? They both have to do with David. Where was Goliath from? Gath. Where did David hide out from King Saul? In the caves of Adullam. Interesting, he starts with Gath and he comes to Adullam here. This fortress city. Just as David fled to Adullam as a fugitive, so now the nobility, when he talks about the glory of Israel, he shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. This is kind of like what we would say the, uh, the nobility where they live. They would be driven into exile. The nobility, the glory of Israel would be gone, exiled. And then watch what he says in verse 16. Make thee bald and pull thee for thy delicate children. Enlarge thy baldness as the eagle, for they are gone into captivity from thee. You know what happened when the Assyrians came? They took the children first. They took the children captive first. Imagine moms and dads seeing their children ripped from their arms and taken captive, and there's nothing you can do about it. To try to stop them would mean your own death. Your children are taken captive. Children taken to these these foreign cities. You think about how even uh, we have good examples of that. You think about Daniel and uh, Anna, um, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. They were taken captive as young boys. They were taken captive as young children. What does he say? Make thee bald. Pull thee for thy delicate children. Again, that shaving of the head was a sign of deep grief and mourning because they had lost their children. 
They lost their children. Now, again, why is all this happening? Why is, why is Micah using this as a play on words? Why is, he, why is he talking about this? Why does he say their children are going to be, be taken into captivity? Because the judgment of God was upon them. They had brought this upon themselves. They had no one to blame but themselves. And that's absolutely true. They had no one to blame but themselves. And yet, Micah says, I will wail and I will howl. I'll go stripped and naked. Even though, yes, I understand that we are getting what we deserve. My heart is broken. I'm su- there's, there's such sorrow here of what's going to t- transpire and what's going to take place. Friend, we, we live in ease today. Just like Israel and Judah lived in ease. And we, we say we know judgment is coming, but do we really believe it? Do we really believe that judgment is just around the corner? Or do we say, oh, we've got plenty of time. We've got plenty of time. Do we really believe that, look, that, that our sins are not only going to affect us, but it's going to affect our children and our grandchildren and, and those that come behind us if the Lord tarries is coming, that, that's going to affect them. Does that really bother us that, that our, 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 our children and, and us and, and our country is, is, again, I don't know how close we are to that line, but I'm going to say we're pretty close if we're not at the line. Does it bother us that judgment is coming? Or do we just going to, well, you know, it's, hey, they're just going to get what they deserve. Hey, our country's just, they decided to turn their back on God. All right, so be it. They're going to get what they deserve. Yeah, they're going to get what they deserve. But what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Micah said, I'm just not going to stand by and let them get what they deserve. I'm going to, I'm going to intervene. I'm going to, I'm going to cry out. I'm going to howl. I'm going to say, Hey guys, please turn. You got to You got to turn around. You got to change your ways. You got to turn back to God. Yes. God doesn't want to judge the wicked and he hates judging them, but he's going to, if we do not turn, you say, well, they won't listen. Well, they'll never listen. If you don't tell, they'll never be able to listen. If we don't tell. At least Israel and Judah had an opportunity to hear something. We just go through life and we just, well, it doesn't really matter. That's not a big deal. You know, I'm just going to do my own thing, keep my head down. No, no, no. That's not what he wants. When are are we going to mourn and wail? When are we going to lament? When are we going to cry and say, oh, God, please spare our nation. God, please spare our families. God, please spare our town. God, please, we, 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 we want to be able to intervene on your behalf. When are we going to do something? Are we just going to let it keep going? Just let it keep going. Now, Micah said, I know we're going to get what we deserve. I'm going to do everything I can to intervene Maybe through that, maybe some will return. Maybe through that, some will turn back to God. 
Look, I don't know if there's any hope for our country as a nation, but I know there's hope for some out there. I don't know if there's any hope for our state, but I know there's some in our city that there's hope for. Who's going to intervene on their behalf? Father, I pray, dear God, that we would understand that judgment is coming. Lord, we can think that we've got it all okay. Micah uses the names of these cities to to show they thought they were good. they, They were beautiful and they had peace and they were strong and they were fortified and they had everything they wanted. And yet, like I said, none of it's going to last. And Lord, we can get our eyes on the things of this world. May we understand that none of it's going to last. And that judgment is coming. Lord, that we would intervene. We would stand up and our hearts would be broken. For those around us, for our nation, for those that do not know Christ as their Savior we would do all that we can to tell them about Jesus Christ. I wonder if their heads bowed and their eyes closed tonight. Nobody looking about. You're not going to stand. But tonight as the piano just begins to play softly, I wonder, are you troubled that judgment is coming? Micah was troubled. He was troubled by this judgment that was coming. When have we gotten troubled to the point to cry out and wail and mourn? Does it bother you that that if the Lord doesn't return that it could affect our children and our grandchildren? our state, our nation? Where are the Christians that are going to be troubled that judgment is coming and do something to intervene for those who've never heard? We're just going to sit back and say, well, they're going to get what they deserve. glad you're not going to get what you deserve God doesn't enjoy judging the wicked will he because he's a just God yes he will he doesn't enjoy it he'd much rather them turn to him and live
the draw. Why don't you come to